I'm learning history in Cleveland. Welcome to the Curious Curators Podcast. Did you know we have a rich heritage of Native American history right here in the Ocoee region? Let's check it out. Hey guys, welcome back to the Curious Curators. I'm Hope. And I'm Lindsay. And today we have kind of a special episode for you. We are part of the Okoe region, Mm -hmm. and the Okoe region has a lot of Native American heritage because the Cherokee lived here. Mm -hmm. So we are going to use this episode, and this will be the first week of Native American History Month, to highlight the stories of some Native Americans who lived in this area. We have a few of the most famous uh, individuals who, who are from this region and who who really had an impact yeah. on our history that we want to talk about today. Yes, we do. So we have four mm-hmm. for you. And they come from different times. They did different things. But we were, you know, we were pretty interested in this, and we wanted to share. There, we also have quite a bit in our exhibit about the Cherokee and all of the contributions that they made to Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. So... Do you um, want to get started? Or? Absolutely. I'll All start right. with uh, Nancy Ward. Okay. Um, she's actually, I think she's fairly well known in Bradley County. Yes. And I, Polk I, County. I would say that. That is not someone I, I did do some of my schooling in Chattanooga. I'd never heard of her, but when I came here, she was extremely popular and well known. So her Cherokee name was Nanyehi, and she was born in the Cherokee mother town of Choda which is in present-day Monroe County, Tennessee. Um, and she was born in 1738. Okay. Um, in 1755, so a little bit, I think she was still a teenager. Um, she married Sula, and she had two children with him. Okay. She earned the title of War Woman. Okay. Um, or Beloved Woman, uh, which is Gigao, and I might be pronouncing that wrong. I don't speak Cherokee. Right. Um, Same. After her husband fell in battle, and she was alongside him, and she took up his rifle and led the Cherokee into victory of the, over the Muscogee Creek Indians um, and, expanding, and expanded Cherokee territory into Georgia. So she led them after her husband fell. Queen. <laughs> um, and in... The late 1750s, so after her first husband died, she did marry a white settler. Uh, his name was Bryant Ward, and she became known as Nancy Ward among the settlers okay. uh, after this time. So she took on a name um, that they could identify and that they could presumably pronounce, I guess. And as a Cherokee beloved woman with this title, because that is a title that right. you earn amongst the Cherokee um, she served as the only female voter on the Cherokee General Council, okay. and she was the leader of the Women's Council. Um, and her position meant that she was responsible for decisions about justice. Okay. And um, in one instance, she so she could choose to forego an individual's punishment, and she actually did so for a white woman named Mrs. Bean. Um, Mrs. Bean and uh, young male... Um, they said child, but I don't ever remember reading an age. I think it might have been 12. Not okay. sure. Uh, were captured by the Cherokee, and they were going to be burned at the stake. Hmm. She annulled the woman's punishment and said, No woman shall be tortured or burned at the stake while I am Gigao, which is the uh, beloved woman title. It wasn't clear if she intervened on behalf of the male child as well, um, but she did stop the woman 
um, but it's unclear otherwise. And she was, she was an advocate for peace. Uh, when one of the most famous stories was when some white patriots were captured during the Revolutionary War. Um, they were captured by the Cherokee who fought alongside the British okay. against the patriots. Um, she freed the prisoners so that they could warn the patriot militia of an on- incoming Cherokee attack. Okay. And because of her, the patriots were able to hold off their enemies and wait for reinforcements. So they were actually able to, she was actually saving lives. Okay. on the Patriot side doing that. Um, she also later led peace treaty negotiations in 1781 between the Cherokee and U.S. officials. Um, but she she did pass away um, before the Cherokee were forced off of their lands in the Trail of Tears. So, um, And her gravesite is? In Polk County. Yeah, like just down the road. Yeah. But we don't, we don't know what she would have thought about the Indian removal or anything like that because she died before that happened, which... You know, it's it's never a good thing to say. I'm glad someone wasn't there for that. But, but it's good that someone doesn't have to experience that, yeah. I think. Yeah, so she was able to leave a pretty impressive legacy. Definitely, yes. So Sequoia, I think, is probably most well-known for creating the um, Cherokee syllabary, which mm-hmm. is... Um, the alphabet. Yeah, the alphabet. I'm like... So um, he actually has an English name as well, and that is George Gist or George Guess. I like Sequoia better. Yeah, same. Sounds much better. And he was um, a Cherokee. He was born in Tuskegee. Tuskegee, yeah. Tuskegee. And it's kind of weird. When I was looking at it, it was saying he was born between, like, 1760 and 1777. That's a very big range of years to be born between. I'm going to start telling people I was born between 1990 and 2007. Yeah, that sounds good to me. So I said 1770 because that seemed to be like a common number that I saw, but it was all different everywhere. Um, And honestly, there are very few like primary sources that we can go back to to see about him, but a lot of it was passed through like oral tradition, which means at some point it was written down, I'm sure, because that's what happens, but probably not during his lifetime. And I did find this, where it says his name is believed to come from the Cherokee word for hog or opossum. Okay. So I was like, okay, that's really interesting. But like I said, he ended up um, creating the Cherokee alphabet. He was kind of impressed by the settlers being able to write. And he knew that that was a way to transmit information. Mm-hmm. So basically, he decided that he was going to create a system of writing. And he was trying to make a character for each word, which is that how it is? Um, like Japanese, is it like that? Is it Chinese, um, Chinese? Logograms. So he kept doing this. and That's also how the Mayans did it as well. So he might have been inspired by other indigenous groups. Yeah, and... It didn't end up working for him. Um, so then he decided to make a character for each like syllable mm-hmm. in the language. We should have brought out the thing that we have about it. Which is basically, so Japanese has the Chinese characters, the logograms. Yeah. But they have, they do that for each syllable. Yeah. And it ends up being a lot. So it, for him, yeah. it was 86 letters. Um, and if you ever, lo- if you find yourself looking this up, they are like, Letters like we use, they're just the combinations are different and they make a different sound. And it's really interesting, but the first like the first person that he taught this to was his six-year-old daughter. 
And the fact that she was able to understand it helped other people to be willing to learn it. Okay. And then he would, like, go to one group or one person and have his daughter, like, as, like, a little look at this. She can do this. So you can do it, too. And then once other people learned it, it was able to spread like that. Like, they trusted it because their friends were able to learn. Okay. Which I think that's a really cool way to do that. So this is all happening, and everything was kind of good. You know, they created their own—he created their own writing system. I heard that the literacy rate among Cherokees will skyrocketed after he yeah, came up like this. Yeah, to like 86%. It was, it was higher like, than the settlers. Yeah, it was, it was high. Like, I mean, like, I think 86—I think it was, like, in the 80s percent. But um, when the Cherokee were moved to Oklahoma, um, one of the issues that came about was the tribe splintered. So not everyone went to Oklahoma. Some escaped to Mexico, which mm-hmm. you find that um, in any of, like, any tribal, like, movement where, like, a forced migration, if you will. Um, people run away and start a new place somewhere else. Like, that happened in the Southwest a lot as well. People fled to Mexico, and American soldiers pursued them. But that's a story for a different day. This podcast is a production of the Alderman Group and the Museum Center at Five Points. Be sure to check out all our upcoming events on our website at museumcenter.org. That's museumcenter.org. Let's continue with the show. But Sequoia wanted the splintered tribe to be put back together. That was like his main goal um, late in his life. And he decided that he was going to go to Mexico and he was going to get those tribesmen back. And sometime between 1843 and 1845, on the way to Mexico, he died. Well, they were going to San Fernando de Rosas. My Spanish is not fantastic. In Coahuila, uh, in Me- it's in Mexico. I'm so sorry, guys. My Spanish is not great. Um, and a letter written in 1845 stated that he had died in 1843. But they're not 100% sure. But... Um, in, like, I think the 1930s, they did find a grave in Mexico that they could neither confirm nor deny was sequoias. But then again, in 2011, um, they went back to a discovery that had happened in 1903. They posted this story. It's in the Wichita Mountains, which is in, like, Oklahoma, um, where they think that could be Sequoia's grave. They found a skeleton, um, a long stem pipe, two silver medals, a flintlock rifle, and an axe. But this was really far away from the Mexican border, so they don't know for sure. So as of today, there are multiple sites that could be Sequoia's grave. But, I mean, honestly, I think it would be very difficult to Positively ID. Yeah, unless they found a tablet or something that said that. So, But Sequoia did it great for the Cherokee people, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Um, someone that I was really interested in is Dragging Canoe. I love his name. Um. In Cherokee, it was uh, Tziu Gansini, which means he who drags a, a canoe. Um, he actually got that name uh, because as a child, he wanted to join a war band to fight okay. against um, the Shawnee Indians. Okay. And his father said, you can come if you can carry your own canoe. So... He couldn't carry it, so he tried to drag it Aww. so that he could be a part of this war band to go. Aww. Um, so he was he was given the name after that. Um, 
But Cher- Dragon Canoe was a Cherokee war chief, uh, Sky Augusta, Ski Augusta, um, and he was known for basically attacking settlers in a very sort of um, maybe guerrilla way okay. uh, during and after the Revolutionary War. He was born in 1738. Okay. His father was actually, neither of his parents were actually Cherokee. Hmm. His father was from a tribe in Ontario, and his mother was Natchez. Okay. Um, and they were adopted by the Cherokee tribe. His mother was actually a captive of the Cherokee tribe, and they lived with the Overhill Cherokee, which are the Cherokee that live west over the Appalachian Mountains of the of west of the Tennessee River. Okay. Basically, he first fought in the Anglo-Cherokee War from 1759 to 1761. Um, he later became a headman of a town. He was allied with the British during the Revolution. Ooh. Um, and a colonial militia actually destroyed the Cherokee Middle Valley and Lower Towns. His father really wanted peace, but uh, Dragon Canoe picked up with a band of his warriors and moved further south. He actually migrated near Chattanooga to Chickamauga. Okay. Um, uh, near Chickamauga Creek, and they were called the Chickamauga Indians. And they established, I think, 11 towns there. Oh. In 1782, again, the Cherokee towns were pretty much devastated by... Actually, this time it was uh, Colonel John Sevier, like Sevierville. Okay. Um, and Dragon Canoe picked up and moved further south again. Poor guy. Um, with his people, and they were called the Lower Cherokee when they moved there. Um, he basically had a base in Running Watertown, which is now Whiteside, Tennessee, and led attacks all over the southeast against the white colonists. Okay. Um, he had brothers named Little Al the Badger and Turtle at Home. I could not find why they had these names. There was no story like Dragon Canoe, but I'm really interested to know about the dragger and the, turtle at the home. badger and turtle at home. Um, but he actually died on February 29th, so it was a leap year, uh, 1792 from exhaustion Aww. and a heart attack. No, no, no. After dancing all night, oh, okay. celebrating an alliance with the Muscogee in the creek. Yeah, And they also okay. had, like, a victory as well. So he was dancing all night and suffered from exhaustion. I mean, what a way to go. My dream. <laughs> he lived an exciting life, and he went out in an exciting way. He did. Awesome. Well, we have one more. One I'll more. I'll do one more really quickly, because I know we're almost out of time. But that is John, John Ross. Ross. So if you guys have ever heard of John Ross, um, he was, like, a principal chief of the Cherokee. And he was born in 1790. Since we've been saying all of these years, like he was born in 1790 and he had a Cherokee mother and a Scottish father. Okay. Um, and he grew up learning both English and Cherokee, so he was bilingual. Um, and his actual career, I guess, started in 1811 because he became an Indian agent. And he served as adjutant of a Cherokee regiment under Andrew Jackson during the War of 1812. Okay. But he started going to Washington, D.C. This would be a recurring thing throughout his life. He was always going to Washington, D.C. to advocate for the Cherokee. But in 1816, he was a principal negotiator, and that was just luck. He was bilingual. Okay. And then in 1817, he was elected to the Cherokee Council. And in 1818, he became the president. So he was quite young. He was only 28. Okay. The president of the Cherokee Council, not... Right. I, right. Yeah. Um, and then in 1824, he petitioned the United States Congress for redress of the Cherokee grievances, which the Cher- that made the Cherokee the first tribe to do this. Okay. 
And he was adamant that the Cherokees should not move to Indian Territory, which agreed. Um, and they kind of, the Cherokee ended up splitting into two sides over this, um, and they formed two political parties. He was part of the National Party, um, and the other party was called the Treaty Party, and that is the okay. party that would go on to sign the Treaty of New Echota mm-hmm. in 1835, which would force the Cherokee to move. So even though that wasn't signed by all of the Cherokee, and this is something that will continue to happen and had already happened before, the government went ahead and upheld that treaty, even though it wasn't like the proper, it hadn't gone through the proper Mm -hmm. channels and everything. So that would force the Cherokee from their homeland. And John Ross and his wife did move and his wife died on the Trail of Tears, which is very sad. Yeah. Um, And Ross would go back and forth still to Washington, D.C. and he remarried and had seven children, and he died in 1866 on a trip to Washington, D.C. Like, poor guy. Yeah. So John Ross tried very hard. He was a huge advocate for the Cherokee. But those are four Cherokee from this area who, you know, had a pretty big role. Oh, yeah, actually had a significant influence on the history of our region. But that's all I have for you guys today. What about you? That's it. We hope that you guys have a great week. Bye. Bye, guys. Be sure to join us next time as we talk all things history and tell the story of the Ocoee region. I'm learning history in Cleveland, Tennessee. Ocoee's a society, Five Points Museum. Telling the story of our history. Coming together as community. I'm learning history in Cleveland, Tennessee. Old Coe Society, Five Points Museum. Telling the story of our history. Coming together as community. I'm learning history, Five Points Museum.